Hey guys, it's Liz Kelly, here to tell you that we have a brand new podcast called Halloween Unmasked, premiering Monday, October 1st. Here's a sneak peek. There's trouble in the suburbs. A teenage girl named Lori Strode crosses a quiet street toward an ordinary house to find her friends. But Lori doesn't know that her friends are dead, and she doesn't know that she's walking right toward the masked killer, Michael Myers. The movie is Halloween. And Halloween just, it was like a, it was a breath of fresh, putrid air. He's a pure, unknowable evil. I'm film critic Amy Nicholson, and this is Halloween Unmasked, a podcast series from The Ringer celebrating the remarkable and terrifying rise of America's most revolutionary horror film. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts to Halloween Unmasked, and watch your back. I, I think the scariest part was that he doesn't die at the end. So when you're 10, it's like, that guy's still out there. <laughs> we, we gotta get him. Yo, 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 yo! Ringer FC. Some podcasts care more than others. I'm here today with Ryan, Stat God, O'Hanlon. What's up, Ryan? Just woke up from a nap after watching that Man U Valencia game. Micah Peters. If I speak, I, I am in big trouble. <laughs> <laughs> we are going to delve into the Manchester United drama. We're also going to talk about in a little while, the most exciting player in the Premier League. His name is not Eden Hazard. And discuss what an impact sub means in 2018. Later, we're going to do a Euro roundup and talk about the developing story involving Cristiano Ronaldo. But first, Champions League instant reactions. As Ryan just mentioned, Manchester United and Valencia drew nil-nil at Old Trafford. Micah, this will not abate any of the furor currently going around the squad will it yeah no uh that was man what a dis- what a disgusting 90 minutes of soccer that was um I it mean, was like, an improve you- it was an improvement over what they did against west ham over the weekend yeah i mean like you said that off air and then i said in response to that that i mean like sure in the same way that dried out room temperature poop is, you know, appetize more appetizing than, you know, warm mushy poop. I mean, they, this is the, the over I think, the weekend, I think warm mushy poop is actually more appetizing. Okay. Anyway, go well, on. Let's not talk let's not talk about that for too much longer. As but a the dog thing owner, is that, I prefer dried out. It's much easier to pick up. Exactly. Um anyway, over the weekend, uh Manchester United got like smacked actually by West Ham three to one. Uh, I know that you've, you've likely seen the stat sheets going around, which are the, the sprints (laughs) for 90 (laughs) collectively of the team was the lowest of any team that played this weekend. Uh, came in at 58, uh, Lukaku, Romelu Lukaku had just three. The most on the team came from Luke Shaw, which is a whole other thing entirely. Um, Right, and it's just kind of, I think it was Paul Scholes was on uh, Mash of the Day, or I don't know if it was Mash of the Day, wh- whichever. It, the clip is floating around also online of Paul Scholes just being like, Mourinho's embarrassing the club. Like, I'm surprised that he survived past this weekend. 
And then you, you know, know things are bad when Micah's uh, echoing what Paul Scholes Paul is saying. Scholes is saying. <laughs> well, let, let, let's let's drill down on the result though of the game we just saw because when when we saw the starting eleven, you would think other than the omission of Jesse Lingard, who I guess is has a, a slight injury, you had Sanchez, you had Lukaku, you had Rashford. I mean, it seemed like this was essentially the optimal lineup with Pogba behind them, Matic and Fellaini, finally Eric Bailly returned. I feel like we say it, that every week, though. And the, and the lineup, I don't think Mourinho really knows what his best team is. It changes every week uh, from big game to big game. I, I mean, ostensibly, yes, have that lineup would be the best lineup save for save for Lingard, but I mean... Wait, so Ryan, what, what do you think went... Why couldn't United score today? Uh, I mean, they had 18 shots, which like on its face looks good, but that amounted to one total expected goal, which is pretty fucking terrible <laughs> given the amount XG, of shots. XG, XG confetti. But I think it, it has something to do with just like... Like you, you said this while we were watching the game. Um, they crossed the ball 31 times. Like it's like the the performance today was like the absolute bare minimum performance for a team that is obviously has better players than the team that it's playing against, basically. Yeah. Um and it's yeah, just, I, I also mentioned I also mentioned this that Francis Coquelin for Valencia was touched the ball more in the attacking third than I've ever seen him in his entire Arsenal career in yeah. this one match. Yeah. I mean, Gabriel Paulista was out there as well. <laughs> you should not be <laughs> salvaging a point against a, a, you know, bottom half table La Liga team at home. I mean, like at ultra, I mean, like it's, they did, you know, hold Valencia scoreless, but they also did not score. And it wasn't through some, I mean, like, it was a, a combination of blind luck and, I mean, not really that much organization. Um, Doesn't it feel like watching Man U, I mean, maybe it's impossible to watch them without kind of knowing all of the noise where we see, you know, on ESPN FC and The Guardian every day. But it just feels like there's not, like, like it, this is a cliche, but it feels like just 11 guys doing their own thing playing yeah, together, like yeah. who have never played together. There's no like patterns to their passing. It's like pop, one guy gets the ball, looks up, makes a decision. And there's no like, there's no like link throughout the team, no sort of like wholesale approach that the team is employing. It's just like a bunch of talented players that have no idea what they're supposed to do. Yeah. Well, that, well, that brings us to. Pogba watch, the ongoing Pogba watch. Uh, Micah, what did you make of Pogba's performance today? Because surely all eyes were on him. Um, I mean, it was, it, it was really, it was another, it was kind of a nothing performance. I, I, there was, I mean, the same as has been the case for a while now, which is flashes of brilliance, but overall just kind of average. Um, the one free kick, I guess, was The his. one free kick looked like it's, it, it I mean, like it was online, it was whipped, it was dipping, and I mean, it didn't look like it was that hard of a save. Uh, I mean, as much as I dislike United and want to see them fail and make Micah miserable, I kind of wanted that to, <laughs> that free kick from Pogba to go in just for narrative purposes, just to see Pogba celebrate, just to see Old Trafford celebrate him, and just to force Jose to say something nice about him. Of course, it didn't go in, but it was close. It's tough to like 
for Pogba, who's someone who's like really good at kind of getting the ball from the defense and getting it up to the attack, when like the defense and the attack are both garbage, it's tough to actually look do good, anything. Yeah, but then I guess you could make the argument that you know maybe he should be making the defense and the attack look better. But I mean, I, I looked at it late in the match. I took a look at his heat map on WhoScored.com, and it seemed like he had an equal amount of touches on either side of the halfway line. So looking at that, you would think that he was, you know, active in the middle of the pitch in linking uh, the defense and the attack. But maybe it didn't really, it wasn't as incisive or effective as he can be. I mean, there were probably, I don't, I, I don't know. You would know the stats on the key passes better than I would, but there are only a few instances of the game where I can think that anything was actually that incisive because it would be him moving the ball in between uh, <clears throat> the defensive midfield, but then it would end up out wide on uh, Antonio Valencia's foot who spent most of the game miles out of position <laughs> or, you know, Martial or Rashford or whomever just whipping the ball in and trying to put it, put it on Lukaku or Fellaini's head, which is not... A terrible plan B, but we shouldn't have to resort to it so yeah, often. Well, it was also planned. I mean, Pogba had, he created the most chances of anyone and completed the most passes into the final third, um, which kind of speaks to what we're saying. Um, and then to me, it just felt like it was a lot of like Martial, Rashford, Sanchez getting the ball out wide, not taking a guy on and then cutting it back and trying to like cross a ball from their inside foot on a weird angle. And yeah, like I mean, those just don't typically work. Also, I mean, the 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 attack wasn't moving quick enough for there to even be a fighting chance for any of that to to go in because they Valencia had all of their players behind the ball. <laughs> I, I'm going to read this tweet from uh, David Maddock, reporter at the Mirror. Really don't want to upset. MUC, MUFC fans, but watching LFC in training tonight, singing, clapping, even dancing together as a complete unit led by Klopp, it really does <laughs> offer a stark contrast to Mourinho's man management strategies. Oh my goodness. Um, I just thought that was an interesting observation that I wanted to share. We haven't had a chance to see Jose's post-game presser, but I would assume he's at least happy about a clean sheet and maybe he's found his best central back pairing. He's also reconnected with Mishi Batswai. Nice little hug on the touchline there in the fifty-third minute. I mean, they I do. mean, we all know, we all know that like attacking or attacking setup or attacking plans are is not Jose's forte. So at the very least, uh, you know, they leaked three goals against West Ham on Saturday and clean sheet tonight. I mean, they do have four points. They're three points clear of Valencia uh, with four games left. So they are on their way to qualifying. I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, you know, we obviously haven't had an episode for two weeks. And in that two weeks, there has been innumerable stories about Mourinho, third season syndrome, beef with Pogba, stripping him of the captains and see the Sky Sports footage of them bickering on the training ground. Which, um, I mean, like, people uh, people in turn are pointing this out, but that's like classic dead cat strategy. He doesn't have to talk about how his tactics are horrible if you can talk about a spat he's having with his player. like Right. But that also, that little spat stemmed from the Derby County Paul Pogba IG story from the stand. So anyway, a lot of little things, but essentially we're, um, I mean, I was about to say we're crescendoing here with, you know, the noise around Manchester United, but it can and probably will get worse. I was thinking that 
today getting a result would kind of, you know, ease the pressure. Um, kind of a listless draw, I don't think is, I mean, they didn't lose. But looking at their upcoming schedule, because people are already kind of circling dates in the calendar as to when Jose might get sacked. Um, they have Newcastle at home this weekend. But then it's at Chelsea, Juventus in the Champions League, Everton, at Bournemouth, who are good this year, at Juve, and then at Man City uh, in the second week of November. So, you know, some people were surmising before Thanksgiving, before Christmas. Is Jose going to make it to the new year is the question. I mean, the Man City, if you're going to sort of play this game, the Man City game is November 11th, and they don't play another Premier League game for 13 days after that. So Is, it, is that international break? Uh, international break or maybe FA Cup. Um, yeah. That is kind of the one you would assume that away to Manchester City would be a sort of inciting moment <laughs> for the club. Yeah. And then having two weeks to replace Mourinho logistically that would be the the time i would do it if i was yeah. in charge i guess i, I mean Mike, just, Mike, as as a united fan is it just tiresome now just every day a new headline and all kind of like this vulture circling oh circling? yeah i mean like anybody when their club is bad and used to be good misses enjoying watching them play like i mean i like of course i miss enjoying manchester united but, I mean, like, as to whether or not Jose is going to be sacked, I mean, like, David Moyes was bad for a very long time. <laughs> and even, in, like, at his worst, they waited until the end of the season to sack him. But there, there wasn't, was, like, a revolt against him in the, in within the team. No, I, I don't think there was, there was as much drama between him and the players. It was just the results. Um Worst case scenario here is Pogba and Mourinho both leave, right? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry to bring that up, but it yeah. seems like a distinct possibility at this point. Yeah, that is the worst case scenario. <laughs> um, it doesn't seem likely, though, because one will inevitably, I, unless they leave at the same time, it doesn't seem like, it seems like one it will have to leave before the other, which would affect whoever's remaining, right? That's a good point. Yeah. I, I, it's just that there are a bunch of different reports out there that you can read where Pogba is, you know, not – so it's not that he's not taken with his teammates or the club or being back in Manchester. It is just the fact that him and Mourinho don't see eye to eye, which is what makes him one out of the club. Um, Let me ask you, though, this, Micah, because you're such a backer of Pogba. You have to admit that he hasn't – helped his situation over the last few weeks yeah i would say so but i mean it's great just, leading question <laughs> <laughs> no i mean like it's he obviously they are both kind of acting just ridiculously um, yeah that's fair but also and one of them's a manager one so of them there's one a of higher them, standard well yeah one of them is the manager and you know wants to be the biggest personality at the club but I mean, if that puts you at odds with your best player, like, then who is, I mean, and the best players then should be the future and the face of the club and, you know, is so vital to everything that you are able to do on the field, then, I mean, like, I think that you should probably, you know, find a way to at least d bring things down a notch 
<laughs> since you're going right. to be stuck with each other for, you know, the next couple of months at least. Right. All right. Well, let's quickly discuss the other results from today. Ryan, I know you watched City Hoffenheim, uh, City won two to one goals from Aguero and David Silva. It was a pretty entertaining game. It was uh, extremely back and forth, just up and down. No real midfield. I think I described it as an MLS game where the, all the players were actually good. Um, <laughs> uh, glad I got that out of the way. Um, <laughs> I didn't say that. Uh, but I Neither mean, did I, for the record. It was a fun game, because one, because it was sort of back and forth. I think City actually didn't really give up that many good chances. There were a lot of sort of Well, last... Hoffenheim scored in like the first minute, literally. Yeah, and then City scored, I think, in the eighth minute um, on an incredible David David Silva pass. I, I'm upset I didn't talk about him more about when we talked about our favorite players to watch. He's, he's a gift. Um, and then, you know, it was... It was a rare, one of those rare group stage games where like City lost their first game. So they really needed to win this game. And Hoffenheim was kind of holding out and had a little bit of a threat on the counterattack. So it had the stakes of, you know, like the sixth game in the in the group stages, it felt like for City, because if they didn't win, you know, one point through two games is would not have been great. But and you could tell by the lineup that Pep put out there it was basically his strongest eleven. Mm. Yeah, and City has Liverpool this weekend. So the fact that he didn't really try to even rotate the team at all, it seemed like, uh, speaks to that point as well. Quickly looking at the other results, we won't go over them all, but two hat-tricks today. Paulo Dybala for Juventus over the Young Boys, 3-0. I guess Young Boys haven't yet to score in the Champions League. Um, Eden Dzeko, also a hat-trick uh, for Roma, 5-0 over Victoria Plzen. Uh, tomorrow, Liverpool and Napoli. And and as you mentioned, Ryan, Liverpool have Man City over the weekend. Are you looking forward to that one? Klopp and Chalati? I, I just need, like, the past two weeks for Liverpool has been just... All go. Insanely <laughs> intense game after game. Yeah. I, I could have used a Red Star Belgrade this week <laughs> instead of Napoli. <laughs> um, I mean, I think it's the kind of game where if you get a draw, especially because Napoli didn't win their first game, which I think is actually going to screw them because uh, they didn't win their game against Belgrade. So I think if Liverpool just gets a draw, you know, Liverpool, the noted team that always plays for draws, uh, <laughs> I'd be okay with it. We should also say that uh, Real Madrid lost to Moscow today. Oh yeah. yeah, they they uh, were losing from the from the second minute on, and then ripping thirty yard shots for the last ten of ten to fifteen minutes. It was Nick, pretty yeah, cool. Of Vlasic scored. He's an Everton loney. So uh, <laughs> did, go Everton. <laughs> did not see the game, but saw a tweet saying that Moscow scored basically some kind of horror luck goal. Uh, I mean, from Madrid's perspective, and the rest of the game was Madrid just dominating but unable to find the net. Yep. Ultimately, it will uh, likely will not matter at all, especially because <laughs> yeah. Real Madrid came in second in their group last year and won the Champions League anyway. <laughs> yeah. Another big big match to look out for tomorrow, Tottenham-Barcelona. That's a tasty one at Wembley. Tottenham's entire team is injured, though, basically. Yeah, Eriksen's out. Deli. Deli Alley's out. Think and Spurs, you know, dropped their first one to Inter, so this is uh, not a must-win uh, in the second match day, but I would say a must result, maybe. Yeah, you'd think they'd have to get a really kind of need a draw out of this. I, without, I think Dembele is out as well. I 
I don't I don't see that happening. I don't I mean, see this going well for Spurs. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Bar- Barca, we'll get more into Barcelona later, but they're not in exactly sterling form either. So, uh, Yeah, but uh, it's they're still, still Barcelona. Barcelona. <laughs> Messi will be on <laughs> the field. The, uh, yeah. uh, Harry, Harry Kane, bro. <laughs> who and you can read a piece about this uh, by by Ryan O'Hanlon on the Ringer.com great website um, has not been himself for quite some time now. <laughs> Although he has uh, taken more shots and scored a bunch of goals since I wrote that piece, it's true. But the Spurs have had a very easy schedule, so th- that'll be. I mean, the game's going to be fun. I watching a Pochettino kind of go into a game knowing he's shorthanded and knowing he needs a result and kind of seeing how he sets up the team I think is going to be really interesting yeah yeah I look forward to that one the games like this really make me as an Arsenal fan miss the Champions League anyway oh, moving on so sad <laughs> <laughs> uh, moving on our next talking point uh, over the weekend we saw as Ryan mentioned probably the best match of the weekend Liverpool and Chelsea draw Uh, 1-1 at Stamford Bridge. And that was, the equalizer in that game was from Daniel Sturridge, a super sub who came on. Oh my lord. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, maybe Micah, maybe you just want to quickly describe the goal or compare okay. it to some obscure pop culture reference. You know, listen. <laughs> All right, it's not my fault that you're a thousand years old. (laughs) Number one. Number two. Uh, yeah, Daniel Sturridge came on with Liverpool trailing 1-0 in something like the 85th or so minute. Um, and it really just kind of came from nothing. It was a ball that, you know, recycled to the top of the box. He was by himself probably 30-some-odd yards out and then took a step and put one Look, perfectly, looked, up, looked, up, looked up, took a step, looked up, and then put one perfectly in the, the far corner over over Chelsea's keeper. I mean, like, it was honestly, yeah, I mean, like, goal of the season so far, I don't think is, I love is the a follow stretch through. to say. The follow-through of his leg, too. The follow-through of his leg and also, like, him going to the corner flag and doing that, like, I thought you knew about it, like, <laughs> celebration was so much better I'm, than whatever that awkward... I mean, really, it was the type of play that merits a Shea Serrano-esque, my 85 favorite things about that goal, because we're just naming off aspects now. I mean, like, the look up, Should the we follow-through. rank everything for the rest of the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> the way that the ball fit right in between Keppa's hand and the crossbar, it was like the perfect size of a ball, basically. Fuck Ryan, what did, goals. What, That's my take. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, do you want, I'll let you wax poetic about it for five or 10 seconds if you'd like. I just, two things I loved about it was, or were, one, he... Wait, let me just quickly say that the ball came from the other sub, Shakiri, and we'll drill down on that in a second. But anyway, Ryan, go ahead. Power cube after missing a point blank... Uh, cross from eight yards out five minutes before uh two favorite things about it were one he was essentially like had no forward momentum and kind of had rolled the ball sideways it wasn't like he was like had a head of steam and just ripped a shot and then i love when guys like this ball didn't dip it just had it so much curve that the curve made it go super high and out of keppa's um like range of his arm basically so he like using the curve to sort of create this like impossible angle that a keeper couldn't reach, but you would just never think to bend a ball like that because you're kind of bending it toward the keeper also was just 
like ugly kind of, but in a, such a beautiful way. I mean, like ugly in the way that it was kind of when he was winding up from there, considering, you know, like it being a high pressure situation, it being the final minutes of the game, you're like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, why, <laughs> why would you even try that? And then it was just like, holy shit, why, what was I worried about? It was. I just yeah. want to add one thing about Sturridge, too. I found it remarkable that in between the end of the game and his post-game presser, he put two earrings in and a nose ring. Just Legend. for the TV interview. <laughs> Legend. And it, was like, and it was like 10 minutes later. So that's, anyway. That's some extremely get my pool in the back type shit. <laughs> Uh, Daniel Sturridge's sub appearance wasn't the only substitute appearance to change a game over the weekend. Uh, we saw Alex Awobi for the Arsenal play a key part in both goals for Arsenal in their 2-0 victory over Watford. And Adame Traore of Wolverhampton Wanderers, not for the first time this season, helped create both the Wolves goals against Southampton and continues to be an impact player off the bench for Nuno Santo, who has actually used the same starting 11 for all seven of Wolves' matches this season. Damn. So, all of these impact sub-performances weekend got me thinking, and I was discussing with Ryan, about the role of the substitute in 2018. And of course, super subs are nothing new in the Premier League. We've seen them throughout history uh, from Manchester United's Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Please refer to him by his proper name, the baby-faced assassin. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> to Crouchy, Peter Crouch, of course, Jermaine Defoe, Chicharito, also for United, uh, Olivier Giroud in his latter days at Arsenal. Usually these are strikers or attackers thrown on toward the end uh, to nick a goal when you're drawn or trailing. But these days we're seeing uh, something new with substitutes or a little bit new. I don't know if it's enough to make a trend and Ryan, maybe you can speak more on this, but substitutes coming in at halftime, not because of injury uh, or for poor performance, even uh, substitutes coming in earlier in the second half. And then also sub substitutes being used not just as a desperate attempt to get a goal, but also to change the style or the way the game is being played. And maybe you can kind of go into that. I don't know. It's probably too early to know if it's a trend, but I think this is one of the things that soccer teams need to do more of. They need to strategically use their subs. And I think it's tough because soccer, it's not like basketball or basically any other sport where you can sub in and out. So, you know, if a guy's consigned to a substitute role, it's like, congrats, you get to play 30 minutes a week as opposed to like, you know, you're still going to play 60 minutes like a couple of the other starters because you're getting signed and in plus, and out. Plus you only get three per match, so. Exactly, it, and it, then it, there are injuries, so you kind of have to maybe not be as aggressive with your subs just in case that happens. But like statistically, players that are subbed on or strikers that are subbed on score at a pretty sizably higher rate than players that aren't subbed on, which you would just assume that it would be, I guess you would assume it would be the same or not, or possibly even worse because the players that are coming on are presumably worse than the players that are starting ahead of them. But I think it's pretty obvious why, because playing 60 minutes of a soccer game tires you out. And then for a guy to be fully have his energy bars full and come on for the last 30 minutes and run at you is um, a nightmare. And it's, you know, so I think there's been some research that like arguments made that you should even sub a guy on at halftime 
And this way you can kind of have one striker who like runs his ass off for 45 minutes and is like dead at halftime. You bring on the other striker who's fresh and now going against guys who have played for 45 minutes and running against them. So I, th- I mean, that's maybe possibly an extreme strategy and it would be hard to get player buy-in, but I think overall managers should use their subs way earlier. And I think it's not a surprise that like this sort of famous innovator alongside uh, Arsene Wenger, Sir Alex Ferguson, um, is kind of the guy who we named probably Chicharito and Solskjaer are probably the two sort of most impactful super subs of the past two decades in the Premier League. Yeah. Well, it's funny. We were talking about this earlier, Ryan, that when Jurgen Klopp subbed out Shakiri. I think it was his first start actually against Southampton at halftime. It was kind of, a, I think they were up 3-0 at half, Liverpool were. And so it was kind of a tactical switch. But I was listening to the punditry afterward and they were not exactly criticizing Klopp for that, but suggesting that taking him out at halftime would hurt his confidence. Speaking of Shakiri now, or that, you know, he played so well in the first half, why take him out? So I, th- I still think it's like to be subbed off any time earlier than the 75th minute now is still assumed as like you've done something wrong or you haven't been good instead of looking at it as like a tactical decision. Yeah, but I mean like that's that I think that's just the case with subbing in general is always trying to negotiate a player's emotions versus tactical tactical benefit. I mean, if you sub Shakiri off and you bring on Fabinho and and hunker down the whatever, I mean like if you or bring on another defender, then you're just protecting a lead at that point which I mean in a vacuum you think a player would understand, but I mean, who really knows? Everybody reacts to that differently. I mean, I think it's interesting because we're talking about Sturridge here and, and mentioning names before like Jermaine Defoe or Crouch or even Solskjaer where these are guys that w- when they were super subs or impact subs, they're kind of in their late 20s, uh, had kind of their stints as starters and then kind of, you know, th- for whatever reason – because they were usurped in the lineup or because of injury or what have you, they became super sub. So it was kind of a demotion in a sense. Do you think we're going to see a day where teams are like actually buying players as impact subs and defining that as a role, the way an NBA team would get a sixth or seventh man and from jump say, this is our sixth or seventh man. I mean, I guess to some degree, that's what Shakiri is. And maybe that's even what Mares is. Manchester City. And I don't know if that's actually just because of the top six's largesse and their ability to buy depth players like that, or if that's more of a pointed, you know, like these guys are going to be game changers in the 60th minute or earlier even. I don't know that that it's going to be a thing that eventually gets... I mean, like everything will eventually be optimized, but I think that's mostly just buying for depth. Uh, I mean, if you're competing in several competitions at once, then maybe the striker that you bought last summer and then you buy another one and then the one that you bought last summer then becomes the impact sub. Uh, right. uh, Alvaro Morata. Um, right. Just because at present, Chelsea's offense works better with Giroud up there than with Morata. But Murata's not a bad second choice. Yeah. Well, so you can't really... I mean, I guess the difference between like a Sturridge or an Awobi is ostensibly Awobi, Alex Awobi being as young as he is, I think people would think he needs to play as much as possible. And then that goes the same for Marcus Rashford. That's also for Gabriel Jesus. Yeah. So, I mean, like, I guess really we'll see, you know, impact subs being a thing if 
24 and 25 year old players are okay with being substitutes, which I guess will probably not happen if they want to play for their national teams, et cetera. It's yeah. tough considering like just kind of the rhetoric and the traditions around it. Cause it's like, say Sur- Sturridge keeps coming off the bench in the, cha- in the premier league, like scores against man city this weekend and Liverpool win does it a couple more times. Like if he keeps scoring when he's in, he's going to be like England call up. Well, England call up, but he's also going to be like, I could do this somewhere. Yeah. Or put like, I'm scoring when I play, play me more. You know what I mean? So I think that there's kind of, I don't know. It reminds me of like, you know, in baseball, like the Tampa Bay Rays almost completely did away with the concept of a starting pitcher. And they just have like one guy they call an opener and he pitches one or two innings, like as hard as he can. And it's, been like a wildly successful thing but it's like you still have all of these guys that are like no i'm a starting pitcher you know that's i need to pitch you know seven innings a game 200 innings a season whatever it's it's well, really if you go if you go deeper in that it also affects their checkbook their pocketbook too right well i think that's the other thing like maybe you when you're if you're signing a guy as an impact sub maybe that's like do you work that into sort of the incentives in his contract in some way, like goals off the bench or something. I, I don't know. I mean, that's also a pretend category of the contract in, in FIFA career or whatever. <laughs> but like, I don't know if they do that in real life. I mean, Michael, let me just ask you hypothetically. Wouldn't if you were, wouldn't you want to be Daniel Sturridge knowing that you're someone that's had a history of health problems? You're probably going to be playing no more than 20, 25 minutes, at least in the Premier League per match. You get chances for glory. You're going to get, I mean, that's the other thing about being a sub is that like, when subs get on the pitch, especially attacking subs, they're not fucking around. They're going to shoot the ball. I mean, that's what they're there to do. So yeah. that's why Sturridge actually tried that audacious shot because he's on the pitch to try to score a goal. No other reason. It's not for tracking back or being defensively responsible. So yeah, I mean, I mean it seems like a perfect role for him and, and one I would presume he'd be happy with. Well, yeah, but I mean, like that also presupposes that happiness is a constant state. I mean, like if you're... <laughs> But I mean, like, if that you, and quote it, that's going in my yearbook. I, I'm just, I'm just saying, like, I mean, if, okay, it's the same thing that Ryan was just now saying about, you know, if you are, if you're coming on and being an impact sub and you keep scoring every time that you're on the pitch, I mean, the same thing was kind of happening with Mishi Batshuayi is that you want more opportunities elsewhere. You want to go to Dortmund and, Dortmund and start, you want to go to Valencia and start, like, it's I true. mean, but also like that's comes back to whether a player is willing to accept a different role. I mean, like Lucas Vazquez should have, after playing PSG that one game in the Champions League last season, just been like, "Yes, I am the new left back, like, or I'm the new wing back, and I should play here all the time, even though I am technically a winger or whatever." Like. You would think that people would be happy to take what they can get, but I mean, if you can get more, you're gonna try. I, I do think I do think that uh, Sturridge might be kind of the perfect test case for this for various reasons because right, you know, he's, he's like he had, Defoe, but better. Had success kind of as a starter was part of the Liverpool team that almost won the Premier League a couple of years ago. Mostly black that experience out of my mind though. <laughs> Don't know any more details beyond that. Um, and he's also had injuries basically every year for probably the past four seasons so like there's maybe even an argument that like if he was starting every game he would probably get hurt anyway so like if if he's convinced himself of that 
went to West Brom and was like, fuck, I was playing for West Brom last year and now I'm back on Liverpool and is definitely making more money at Liverpool than he would make at any of these other teams. He's kind of like the perfect guy, I guess, that you could convince that this role um, is worth it too. And maybe if it keeps happening, then it kind of trickles down and other teams start doing it. So patient zero. I think I just dissed Jermaine Defoe by saying Sturridge is better because actually I think Jermaine Defoe has the most goals of any Premier League substitute ever. Uh, but was Jermaine Defoe at the BET Awards? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, and I should mention too, with my own club, Arsenal, watching them, it's like you're seeing Unai Emery forcing Lacazette and Obama Yang into the same team when really one of them should be the second striker as in a substitute and they could kind of like switch based on who's doing well that day or what the team needs against the opposition. But because of, Mike, I guess you're kind of alluding to professional pride or athletes always wanting to play, Emery has been starting a bunch of games with them together and it just doesn't seem to work. And if one of them were be willing to take a seat on the bench, uh, I think it would be for the benefit of the team. I don't know what you guys think about that. Yeah, I mean, like that's also just buying in, uh, which is a really protracted cliche or whatever. But at the same time, it's like if if you can uh, get Aubameyang to agree to start the games where we need to stretch the field and Lacazette can start the games that they need to basically combine and exploit space half spaces in the midfield, then yeah, that would work better for Unai Emery's system. But I mean, part of being a striker is wanting to be on the field and score goals over everything else. Which right, is, and part of being a manager is keeping your team happy. So yeah, it's a de- yeah. it's a delicate balance. Well, and it's like Lacazette didn't go to the World Cup, you know, so that yeah. it's like, okay, the Euros are coming up. Do I want to take another kind of sort of bit part role? Is that and is and probably not make the next France team? That's kind of another tough tough thing. Yeah, yeah. Bringing it back to United, uh, the fact that Jose doesn't have a settled starting 11 because we mentioned Wolves and Nuno Santo have the same 11 all seven games when when you have the, a settled 11 then then you have super subs or you have people that come in and for bit parts and they know what their roles are for that but for for United everyone's a super li- sub everyone's a super <laughs> sub so it, there everyone's is no a super kind sub, of no one is exactly. is the super sub let me just ask you guys uh, to draw on your own playing experience I mean do you think it's harder I don't know how, you know, like uh, what metric you would, I mean, I guess just based on feel, I guess, is it harder to be a substitute in soccer than it is in other sports? Yeah, because you basically have to, the thing that everyone will tell you when you're jogging on the field, if you are a sub is, or your coach will say this to you as you're, as you're going on is matches intensity, matches intensity, (laughs) which is like the most annoying (laughs) thing to hear. But also, it's just kind of like part of playing is growing into the game. Like, very few people are good, like, right off of the bat. Right. You need to touch the ball, right? So your head has to be, like, in the exact right space. We also, uh, as products of the vaunted American youth soccer system, we never really played in in an environment where the subs were limited. (laughs) So, like, we never got to fully experience the, like, you come on in the 70th minute and everyone else in the field has played 70 minutes and you can just run. But because that, that in theory, should make being a sub in soccer easier compared to other sports because everyone is way more tired. But I think playing up top, it's probably a little easier to kind of get the feel of the game because... 
you're only really involved in the final phase. Yeah. But coming on as like a center mid, I think you want to just get as many touches as you can to start and even get like a couple bad touches in and then get beyond them. Yeah. At least that's, you know, the complicated mental gymnastics I would go through when that happened. But, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, when, when we talk about super subs or when people in general refer to them, it's always strikers or attackers. Mm-hmm. Because to be super, you basically have to score or change a game by scoring yeah. or contributing to a goal. And that's inevitably going to be someone in the forward end of the pitch. And on that note, I mentioned the most exciting player in the Premier League. And Ryan O'Hanlon, do you have your stat of the week for our man from Wolves, I Adama Traore? Stat of the week this week is dribbles per 90 minutes. Um, pretty simple. Players that you dribble by um, adjusted for a 90-minute rate. And uh, number one in the Premier League among players who have played at least 100 minutes is Adama Traore with 10.1. Wow. <laughs> Round of applause for Adama Traore. And, and who's in second place? Second is place is Hazard at 3.9. <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, of course, we're, we're saying per 90, and I don't think Traore has even p- barely played 90 minutes total this season. 169. So. Oh, okay. So 169, I stand corrected. But it speaks to our point of like, the minutes he's playing are way more effective than a guy who, a guy playing a full 90 minutes. Yeah, and let's just give a quick, I'll give a quick bio on Traore. Uh, You know, our boss, Bill Simmons, always talks about if Martians landed and watched a random sporting event, like, would they be able to tell who's the best player uh, on the field? And and Traore is someone that if Martians were watching a football match and they saw him, they would be like, this guy's good. And I think it's for myriad reasons. You could say it's the blonde streak in his hair. You could say it's how fast he is. He's amazingly fast. The fastest player in FIFA 19, for what it's worth. He's you might built also like Maurice Jones Drew, but like <laughs> has has feet like a ballerina. I have to. I did a little research on Traore, and would you believe he it's, said in a recent interview, "quote I haven't lifted a single weight." No chance. Bullshit. No shit. That's like Bullshit. what was it? Jake Arrieta just being like, "Yeah, I just do yoga and you know and drink a lot of water." No soccer player has biceps that big, and like, what is he? Where would he have gotten those biceps from? If he was Tayshawn Prince, who is smooth Steroids? all the way down to his ankles, gets to say that he has natural strength. I think the cr- the craziest thing about Traore, not to step on your bio info is that he came through the Barcelona youth, youth system. And he's like yeah, the, La Masia. the least Barcelona player, I think, I mean, of all time. <laughs> I mean, from what I read, he was actually born within sight, I guess, of Camp Nou. So. Fuck, Spain should call him up. That would be awesome. <laughs> he, is, he, is, he is Spanish of Malian descent. Uh, he actually hasn't been capped at the senior level by Spain. And I think the latest is Mali are still trying to get him to to represent that them. That would be but, so awesome seeing yeah. him play for Spain. He, he played mostly that for Russia Bar- game if he came on. Oh, <laughs> man. He played mostly for Barca B, but he did actually make at least one appearance for the senior team. I think he came on for Neymar, actually. Uh, he then went to Aston Villa, played a year in the premiership uh, with under Tim Sherwood. Actually, I have a quote <laughs> from Tim Sherwood. At that point, Traore was a teenager. And Tim Sherwood says of that time, Quote, the players didn't want to play with him, but nobody wanted to play against him either. And I think that speaks to him (laughs) at that point. (laughs) Being a little bit selfish uh, with the ball, as a lot of teenagers are. I also have to say, on ESPN FC, he's listed at 5'10", 168 pounds. 
which isn't that far from my height and weight. Doesn't seem like that's accurate either. There's nah, no chance. No shot. He's at least 180s, 185. Yeah, gotta be. And he's not 5'10 either. He's like 5'4. <laughs> <laughs> so he's basically a swole Theo Walcott, right? I mean, he runs crazy fast. He's uh, on yeah. the ball a lot. Yeah. And his end product may have been lacking before, but I think we're seeing this season a market improvement. He's 22 only still. And I think speaking of, you know, back to the subs thing, I think their manager, Nuno Santo, has been saying, or not saying, but, you know, implying, I guess, with his the, his usage of Troy that he's better fit to be a sort of change of pace in the 65th, 70th minute when defenses are tired and they don't want this bull running at them with the ball. If you were going to build a impact substitute, this would be exactly what he what he would look like. So do you think <laughs> he would be less effective as a starter? Because eventually, and speaking to all of what we've been talking about before, is Adama Traore going to want to be a sub for, you know, his, until he's age, whatever. I mean, he's 22 now. At some point in the near future, I'm sure he's going to want to start. He started 28 games for Middlesbrough last year. Five goals. In the, champion, in the championship. Yeah, in the championship. Five goals, 10 assists. Um had 7.3 dribbles per game, which is still pretty fucking insane, actually. I mean, I would advise anybody to go to YouTube and just Google or just search his name and compilations because his dribble highlights are fucking insane. Yeah, if you watch his, if you just watch his, he's probably the new, there was this guy, Mohammed Zidane. I don't know if you guys know who that was. Mm, who I do, the Egyptian. His yeah. highlights were like the craziest shit I've ever seen, and I didn't understand how he wasn't good at soccer um, <laughs> because I'd never saw him play because this was back when like goal TV didn't even exist. Um, Traore is like the new version of that. Like if you just watch his highlights, you'd be like, this is, this is there's the no way there's player. a better soccer yeah. player than this. <laughs> um, but he definitely is going to want to play more, right? Yeah, I mean, like, that's only natural, especially if you are, like, a flashy take-on-all-players kind of winger. Maybe once uh, Wolves are in the Champions League, there'll be enough games going around for him to get some starts. (laughs) Well, it's the thing, though. It'll be better for him to start for, obviously, his personal brand and fame, probably for his wages. But as far as, like, his level of his impact or how he can help the team, you know, I think he's a better sub. So. There's the rub. If you're good as if you're really good as a sub, eventually you're going to start. What's the kind of the ideal for this to continue is for Wolves to keep doing really well because they're having a really good uh, start to the season, and for him to keep having a pretty big impact, but not like such a big impact where he's scoring like two goals off the bench every time. So uh, Nuno can be like, "Team's doing well. You're doing well. This is working, and it's not like right. too much <laughs> Triori." Um, right impact off the bench but yeah it's like it if Sturge is kind of the perfect sort of history to kind of convince him that this sub role is right I think Triari just being so young is the exact opposite of that right all right well on that note we'll take a short break here and come back with a look at Europe Support for today's Ringer FC comes from Ring. Ring's mission is to make neighborhoods safer. Today, over a million people use the amazing Ring video doorbell to help protect their homes. 
But Ring knows that home security doesn't end at the front door. That's why they're extending that same level of security to the rest of your home with the Ring Floodlight Cam. Ring Floodlight offers the ultimate in home security with high visibility floodlights and a powerful motion activated HD camera that puts security in your hands. Just like Ring's amazing doorbell, Ring Floodlight connects you right to your phone with HD video and two way audio that lets you know the moment anyone steps on your property. See and speak to visitors, even set off an alarm right from your phone. With Ring's Floodlight Cam, when things go bump in the night, you'll immediately know whether you're home or you're away because with Ring, you're always home. So save up to $150 off a Ring security kit when you go to ring.com slash FC. Ring.com slash FC. That's ring.com slash FC. Now back to the show. And we're back. Uh, On a serious note, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, of course, the Juventus superstar, is involved in a story first broken by the German publication Der Spiegel. Uh, It's a rape accusation by an American woman stemming from an incident that occurred in June of 2009. And Ryan, I know you've been following the story a little bit. Maybe you can break down some of it here. Yeah, so back in 2009, this woman, Catherine Mayorga, reported to the police that Cristiano Ronaldo had raped her in Las Vegas. Then she eventually settled out of court for $375,000 and signed a non-disclosure agreement. And then last week, Der Spiegel published a piece speaking to Catherine uh, Mayorga about this, and she wanted to come forward, void the non-disclosure agreement, and she felt compelled to tell her story because of everything that's happened across the world um, with the Me Too movement over the past year. And now she is has filed a civil suit against Cristiano Ronaldo um, for damages related to the incident for another 200000 And the Las Vegas Police Department yesterday, because there, so there are no, there's no statute of limitations in... Um, Nevada, I guess, or Las Vegas, um, as long as something is reported to the police within four years of when it happened, and she reported it right when it happened. Um, yesterday, the Las Vegas Police Department announced that they were, they didn't name either person, they didn't name her or Cristiano Ronaldo, but they announced that they were reopening the case and investigating the report. Um, Der Spiegel has a you know detailed report. They spoke to her about this, and there's um, sort of a lot of very unsavory details about the incident that if you want to go look into that, you can. Cristiano Ronaldo himself literally called this fake news in an Instagram post, and his lawyers have said that w- what Der Spiegel is doing is illegal. The libel laws in Europe are much stricter than they are here. But it is a credible accusation, and the police are investigating it. And I think we're kind of just going to follow this as it develops. Yeah, obviously, we'll keep an eye on it. I think it's interesting, the timeline of everything, because the incident happened in 2009. I think Der Spiegel caught wind of it from some documents released by Football Leaks and did a story last April. And then they re-interviewed or finally secured an interview with uh, the accuser, Mayorga, uh, last week. 
And it hasn't really been covered at all in the American press until this week. Uh, I think Wall Street Journal was the first. I think yeah. New York Times had a story today. I think part of that is just the international aspect of it. It's a it's a crime that happened in the States, but it's with a Portuguese footballer that lives in Italy and it was broken by a German publication. But I think as the days are going by and more publications are picking it up, it's inevitably going to be a bigger thing. Um, and so, as you said, we'll be keeping an eye on it. Um, moving on to the football, Spain, La Liga, uh, some kind of chaos is happening at the top of the table or all throughout the table. Uh, Barca and Real Madrid lost in the same week for the first time in three years. I don't know what's going on. Let me ask you guys who actually watch La Liga. And then they tied both of them this weekend. So And then they tied both of them this weekend. So what is it? Atletico at oh it's Barca and Real are still one two. Uh but Sevilla, Atletico, Betis, they're all knocking on the door. People often think that La Liga is a foregone conclusion, right? One of the two major clubs, Barca and Madrid, are, are are likely to win, but is it more wide open? I think the way I would look at it uh is that it's going to be a little more exciting f- for a little bit longer into the season than I guess typically we would expect from Barca and Madrid. But I think it's it's still um, it's still I would not go any I wouldn't put any thought near betting on a team other than Real or Barca to win. I think the interesting thing is that they've both kind of been tripping up and st- tripping up alongside each other in it. I think typically when that happens, one of the other the other team will build up an early lead um in the title race but we did i i will say i talked a lot of shit about atletico madrid over the first two weeks but now they have 12 points and are in the top four only two points off the lead so i mean it's it's definitely way closer than i would have expected but i think even if you kind of look at the sort of betting markets and the percentages on like 538 La Liga is kind of the league where the expectations have deviated the least from the start of the year, Um, which I guess is interesting because I guess at this point you would have expected Madrid and Barca to kind of have distanced themselves from the rest of the league. But, um, I mean, it's... I still think Barca is probably the best team in the world and just has the the array and sort of versatility of their talent is unmatched at this point. Um, How about Jose to replace Valverde? Wow. What do you think, Micah? I did Imagine see, putting I did Jose see a rumor Reno in, tar- in charge of taking off my jacket. <laughs> <laughs> no Would that way. be the awesomest? I mean, just, just for fun and shits and giggles, though. I did see that Valverde is, uh, Valverde is on the hot seat. I mean, I mean I'm sure that's just a spurious Spanish newspaper rumor, but, you know, Barca's Barca. They shouldn't be losing to the team at the bottom. I mean, the Barca and Madrid managers are always on the hot seat, basically. If you are, if you basically, if you win only two out of the the three games that you have in various competitions that week, there are already rumblings. Well, yeah, and it's like, you know, Barca won La Liga by like, or they finished ahead of Madrid by like, it was 17 or 14 points last year. That's a ton of points. Mm -hmm. But I think Madrid won the narrative because they won the Champions League. (laughs) So like, Elverdi didn't really build up any goodwill by doing that somehow. And also, like, Zidane won three consecutive Champions League titles and decided to walk before being (laughs) fired. (laughs) Yeah. 
But I, I think the other thing is that uh, so Sevilla kind of romped against Madrid last week, and I think Sevilla is kind of it looks to me like they're back as kind of the clear fourth best team in the league again, which is which is kind of interesting considering uh, they had a ton of managerial upheaval last year. Um, Monchi left, and everyone kind of expected them to fall apart without him just signing the next best player um, every summer. So, yeah. Name a couple of players on Sevilla right now. I don't even... Uh, Benega? Andre Silva is the big one. The uh, Oh, right. He scored a shitload of goals this year, the Portuguese. Yeah, who washed out at, at uh, Milan. And did he... I don't know if he even made Portugal's World Cup team after he like... Did. He did. He didn't play that sure much, though. Um, after being like the guy that Ronaldo requests, he was the Benzema of the Portuguese team, <laughs> basically. Um, Jesus Navas as well is actually like doing really well, which I don't. That's not surprising. Uh, he's a good player. <laughs> Kevin Gamero. Uh, well, ah. actually, no. Kevin Gamero got tra- got traded Valencia. Yeah, he was running rampant yeah, against he was running, United today. <laughs> yeah, he was running <laughs> rampant against United. The uh, who else is Sevilla? Ben Yedder still. <laughs> Oh He's right, good, Benyatta, the, yeah. the United killer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Steven and Zanzi is still there. No, he's yeah. on Roma. He's on Roma now. You got, you got Mike knows a ton of players on uh, yeah. Sevilla. Oh yeah, this is good. <laughs> We're really showing our expertise here, guys, on uh, the players on Sevilla, Sevilla Football Club. No, I mean they but, have they they have no leader. Benega, Benega is still there. Yes, yeah, Benega. Benega. Um, He's probably he's the best player on the team. Um, and Ben Yedder. I mean, he'd be the best. We player all remember like, Ben Yedder. Every yeah. Um, Simon Simon Shar, the Danish guy with the long blonde hair, who I've been waiting to actually be good for a while. There's a lot of um, Danish guy with long blonde hair. At this, <laughs> <laughs> need to be a little more. Uh, Roque specific. Mesa and Nolito, two uh, Premier League washouts, who I guess just went back there. Alex Vidal, who was used used to be on Barca. Um, Franco Vasquez, who's who's uh, sort of an up and coming Argentinian. Um, there's no like young superstar, I would say, on the team, which is which is also interesting. The uh, Andre Silva goal renaissance is kind of what's driving them right now. <laughs> uh, quickly then to the Bundesliga. Similarly, in some ways to La Liga, thought of mostly as a top heavy, if not single team league. Uh, Bayern Munich has been struggling a little bit. Their last two results, they drew with Augsburg, lost to Hertha Berlin. Surprisingly, the table now stands at uh, with Dortmund at, atop. Uh, Bayern second, Hertha Berlin third, Gladbach fourth. Uh, is Bayern are Bayern not going to win the league this year? Bayern also t- just- I tied with a Frankie De Jong-less Ajax today. <laughs> so <laughs> I think I Bayern. That. I think Bayern's still going to win. Um, because I don't uh, think that Dortmund is actually that good. Um, I know that they're undefeated, four wins, two draws. They've just, they're a very weird team who don't take that many shots and have been, had basically been pulling results out of their ass until winning uh, 7-0 <laughs> last week, which has kind of flattered all of their sort of underlying numbers and even their their goal differential. Um, but I think I think it's a combo of, Dortmund running a little hot. And I think, I don't know. I don't know if Nico Kovac was someone that I was like, this is a guy to take Bayern to the next level. Like he's just kind of a, 
a steward of talent and the team will probably be fine and win because they're Bayern, but he's not like, you know, Bayern had, I mean, also, it was Pep doing crazy shit. And then it was Ancelotti. Who's like the God of managing ridiculously talented teams. Then you have who's like the Bayern legend, you know, and following them up has been kind of tough. I mean, yeah, there was a, a Alfonso the, Davies though. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, after 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 Pep left and Ancelotti was there, I mean, you remember all of the grumblings from the players about basically, is this what a training session is like yeah. here under you or whatever? <laughs> I feel like this is this is a walk in the park. Or, and I mean, some reports have been coming out of uh, Sport Build about how Matt's Hummels and uh, several other players are just kind of not really taken with Kovac's style of managing a team well he's kind of his teams uh always like overachieve their expectations but he was kind of a slightly more defensive manager which i, I think we're seeing that when a top team hires a defensive manager it <laughs> ends up going poorly for the most part <laughs> is he the croatian sean Dash? i, I if this isn't <laughs> fair because they're in second but i keep thinking of Moyes going to united um but Bayern is so much better than everyone else in the Bundesliga that it doesn't matter. That's way too harsh, though. Like they're they're fine. Um, let, let me ask you. Let me ask you. Uh, ask you guys a question about Dortmund because listening to English podcasts or football shows, the way they talk about Jaden Sancho is the way we as Americans talk about Christian Pulisic. I'm curious if you think those guys are buddies, and if so. I mean, obviously, they're two young people on the same team. One's English, one's American. I think it would be cool if there was a reality show starring Jaden and Christian. Should I pitch it for Ringer Films? I pitch mean, obviously, I would watch that. <laughs> when Jaden's like, they're called crisps, Christian. <laughs> I mean, so it'll just be a, a bunch of a bunch of uh, footage of. Jaden Sancho explaining British slang to Christian Pulisic. <laughs> that can be part of it. There's a picture of uh, the three of them together at training from what I can see here. But I think part of the issue is that, so Jaden Sancho is basically just another um, version of what we were talking about earlier. He's a super sub. I don't mm -hmm. know if he's, he's played 120 minutes in the Bundesliga this year, but he has five assists. Yeah, that's um, what they've been talking about, how he's been, you know, He's changing. like the super sub who doesn't score but creates for his teammates. He has it, like key passes 7.5 per 90 minutes. The second best on Dortmund is two. Um, but like assists are a little noisier. Like that depends on a lot on your teammates finishing the passes that you give to him. Um, and he's a lot lower in expected assists than he is actual assists. But I think that what I'm getting around to um, with the statistical digression is that it's interesting because they're both competing for spots in the starting 11, I think. Mm, that adds a wrinkle to the reality show. That's true. That's true. Frenemies. I, I, I know that in like the stats community, a lot of people are like whispering that Sancho is just better than Pulisic. <laughs> Fuck those people. I, I, I can't. <laughs> I really have no basis to agree with that, but the fact that you disagree with it, I agree with it. Sancho's better. <laughs> Sancho's the Adama Traore of the Bundesliga. <laughs> <laughs> I fucks with the name heavily, though. Jaden Sancho. It's just, it sounds cool. 
It is I a pretty agree. cool name. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're going to close finally here with a look at Syria. Not really a look at Syria, actually, because Juventus is going to win the league, as we all know, but a specific player in Syria. He plays for Genoa. His name is Krzysztof Piatek <laughs> from Poland. He's 23 years old. He's currently the leading scorer in Europe's top five leagues. Eight goals in his first six games. And it's actually 12 goals in all competitions because he scored four goals in his debut in the Coppa Italia. He was bought for just four million pounds from KS Cracovia over the summer. And he's now valued in excess of 30 million pounds and already rumored to all the usual suspects. I think City, I don't know who else, Spurs. I I saw a couple names being bandied about. Seems like a United player. Please stop that. (laughs) (laughs) I think Poland has been waiting for a true heir apparent to Lewandowski. I mean, this guy didn't even make it to 2018 World Cup. He was in the preliminary squad, uh, but didn't make it. Presumably, he will be in the national team, uh, in the Nations League and and the next Euros. But uh, have you guys been seeing anything of him or watching his goals? Can he continue this hot streak? I'm sure Ryan will say no. Hate to be that guy. He's an he's an interesting statistical case because uh, he he has eight goals, but two point nine five expected goals. Which is, if he continues to do that, he's going to be the greatest soccer player of all time. Um, <laughs> but he's also taking a lot of shots. Uh, like he's over four point five, which is a really healthy number. Um, So I think it's like two things. It's like, no, he's not going to keep scoring at this crazy rate, especially when you add in the Copa Italia uh, goals that you mentioned. But he is getting a lot of shots. And for a young player, that's, that's almost sort of the most important thing. So I think I'm intrigued by him as like a guy who could be a pretty decent striker for the next decade. But I'm not like, oh, shit, it's the Polish Mbappe. (laughs) (laughs) And on that note, uh, this episode will come to an end. Thank you, as always, Ryan and Micah. Of course. Thanks, Donnie. Everybody should watch Liverpool Man City on Sunday, and we'll see you in two weeks. Peace. Peace.